You're listening to Escaping the Rat Race. I'm your host, Amy Leo, a singer, songwriter, and mental health educator. And our show is all about questioning the status quo and pushing the boundaries into what's possible for human beings and not probable. So tune in and get ready to escape the rat race, not only the monotonous nine to five work grind, but also that incessant internal mental chatter that prevents most of us humans from experiencing more joy, peace, clarity, and freedom. On today's show, we're talking with Tony, one of my favorite human beings on the planet. He is a man who truly runs a nonprofit organization called Hope for the Children, where not a penny goes to anything other than the mission work that he does. He also has programs for youth that are now in over 500 schools, churches, and jails this school year, and has created one of my favorite performance spaces in New York City, an underground venue where no artist feared and freedom of expression and respect for the individual artist is absolutely valued. And that's something really rare, honestly, to find in the New York City area. So tune in to see just how big of a difference one person can really make. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Amy Leo from ReviveYourSanity.com, and we are continuing our solopreneur series today. I'm really excited for the guest that we have. It's someone I've known for quite a few years now, and I've actually performed at his space. We have Tony from The Vault and Hope for the Children, and I'm actually going to stop talking now, Tony, and let you take it away. If you could share a little bit about your story with the folks and what you're up to now, I think that's a great starting point. Okay. Well, glad to be on this, uh, Amy, and talking with you. Long story short, uh, I was a lost kid. Um, really bad, bad teenage years. And uh, I made like a spiritual experience, like a retreat. It was uh, at the end of my high school years. I wondered like where the heck was this when I could have used it. So I went on a mission ever since then to just make kind of spiritual awakening experiences, psychologically healing experiences possible for young people ever since then. Started out with one or two, and now it's up to the point where I'm in 502 programs this current school year, churches, schools, and jails. Yeah, I took what I was uh, passionate about, you know, experiencing, wanting to spread it around, and uh, it's grown over time to the point where it's as big as it is now. I take the proceeds from that money that they give me for doing these presentations, these workshops and retreats, and I use that to fund my foundation Hope for the Children, which is about empowering people around the world to lift themselves out of poverty. So I spend the summer going around on mission trips, bringing American kids with me uh, to uh, to meet people in these countries, make friends with them, be of help whatever we can to develop, you know, bonds of friendship with people, uh, making helping kids to see beyond their limited little worlds, and uh, they get the proceeds from the uh, from all the retreat work that I do. And then one of my one of my trips was to Africa, where I was in really remote regions and treated very warmly with people coming out to entertain me, and that motivated me to maybe someday create a underground uh, kind of performance opportunity venue uh, someday. And I've also gotten to do that. That's where, of course, you know, Amy, you and I met at the vault. So that's we've been doing that for 20 years. But that was actually inspired by one of my mission trips. So everything. In my life kind of has a flow, you know, but it basically started, I think, with that one retreat weekend that I did at the end of high school and flowed out from there. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. I think it really speaks to the potential that's within every human being to suddenly see something really differently about themselves and the world around them. I've had a similar uh, experience on a retreat like weekend as well. Um, and of course, the traveling component, I mean, there's a lot of synchronicity here with, with what you and I are kind of passionate about. And traveling for me has been a game changer in so many ways. There's something about like you said, getting out of your limited view, everyday life, your everyday routine, and really experiencing how other people live. And it also, for me, um, puts me up against like my identity. I find my identity, who I think I am, drops a little bit. And I'm able to experience a, a broader experience of living because I'm not limiting it with my thinking about myself. So I, I would love if you could share maybe one of your most memorable or touching experiences from one of your mission trips. I know you've been doing them for quite, quite some time now. Um, but if you could share one of, one of your most memorable experiences, bringing an American kid down somewhere. Yeah, I would have to say uh, you might think that's a hard <laughs> question, but actually overwhelmingly my biggest experience was the uh, garbage dumps outside Lyon, Nicaragua. Um, we uh, have adopted a village nearby and uh, was informed there was a garbage dump and that there were people who um, live off the garbage dumps. And uh, we wanted to bring them some relief and some love and whatever. So we had a side trip to the garbage dump, and now it's a staple of our trip to Nicaragua. Um, but the first time I went to the garbage dump, the stench. Um, but these people working so hard in the heat and the stench and respectfully not stealing each other's things, you know, um, and it's their only way to survive. It was just seemed like so dehumanizing to me. I mean, they were totally human. They were totally dignified in the way they behaved themselves and carried themselves. I felt called to like, want to do more, to give more, um, you know, as much as I was already committed to making a difference in the world that whole day, I just cried, uh, you know, uncontrollably in that garbage dump and, uh, became even more committed to, uh, to doing more to try and, uh, change the, uh, way we live on the planet so that, you know, there is enough. Why do we have to operate in such a way that some of us are drawn down like that? And then finding out after the fact that there's every de developing country has people that have to, you know, survive that way in the garbage dump. So it may be motivated to want to do even more to help others. Yeah, that's, I, you know, it's, oof. Yeah, I had a similar experience when I was in India flying over um, one of the major cities and, and it was similar that that's how people were living. And I find I speak with a lot of people, whether they're clients or friends or family, and they really see that there's changes to be made in the world. There's things they want to do, uh, whether it's on, a, again, a social change scale or even personally to share their art. Uh, but I find that people get really uh, worked up and, and, and overwhelmed. So what advice would you give to someone who's kind of in that state where their heart, they want to do it, but there's something you know, mentally that's preventing them from taking the next step? That, that's a great question. Um, you just have to have an inner drive. You can't wait for, you know, no one is ever going to line up and say, oh, gee, let me help you make your dream come true. You have to just accept that that's the terrain, the landscape, rather than you want to do some good in the world. I mean, every once in a while you hear of a wonderful success story of somebody who 
was able to put something out on FundMe or whatever these various sites are and hundreds of thousands of dollars roll in and there's this cute little girl that wanted to do whatever and billions of dollars came in to support her. There's always those kinds of successes, but to work within systems to try and make, you know, you don't want to work with even if you're trying to combat a system, uh, just expect there to be inertia, just expect there to be disinterest and, and know that you have to carry yourself. You can't, you get a pat on the back, you get a little bit of help, you appreciate it, but you don't expect it. You don't expect anyone to just, uh, you know, like I said, make, you know, just try and make it easier for you. You have to just accept there's a reason why the world doesn't function the way we want it to, uh, because of human weakness, human the inertia, the resistance of systems, is just accept that those things are in place and do what you love. If you do what you love and you have a passion to make a difference, then you'll survive the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows and the, you know, and, and just constantly refine what it is that you do. And, um, you know, you're more liable to have it work out that way. But uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Uh, don't wait for others' uh, support. Um, off the top of my head, those are a couple of things I think would make a big difference. Yeah. Does that help? Yes, for sure. I mean, that's something in my own journey and evolution as a human being that uh, even if it's just sharing your art, right, or just singing, you know, there's this piece of in what you're saying as well that it really you don't need to take it personally. You know, it, it is a neutral system in the sense of this is what we've got. And, you know, you have your art and you have whatever ability that you're at right now. But the truth is as well, when someone, at least in my experience, Tony, you know, if someone's on stage or if someone's doing things in the world and they have that authenticity and they're in touch with their own wisdom, there's something about that that is more foundational to the kind of logistics. And then people tend to find their own way through logistics. Uh, if you could share, you know, building a business, your businesses and your career, you know, what have been some of the major challenges for you? And what do you then love most about what you're doing? Well, if you take my, uh, say my retreat work, my workshop work, I mean, I'm operating, uh, I'm willing to go anywhere in any setting, but primarily it's within the Catholic system. Now the Catholic system is very interesting in that in the Catholic world, there's this amazing Pope Francis in charge. What's stunning is how little of what he is saying his own church should be <clears throat> trickles down to the grassroots level. People are out playing their own little games through their own little domains and basically maybe putting him up on a pedestal but ignoring him. So <clears throat> one of my greatest challenges has been to try and, you know, is, is just, you know, offering programs for youth in a system that is run by many people who have no heart for the youth. That's why, you know, the people that appreciate me use me. Other people that are threatened by what I do because I keep it very real with young people, um, they're just not going to use you. And, you know, and you go, all you need is one parent that didn't like something you said to report it to a person. And you could be in a setting for 20 years and affected positively thousands and thousands of kids. You know, it's going to be that somebody, you know, is going to cave in out of fear. Uh, institutions for the most part operate out of fear, only many individuals do, but truly hardcore fear-based people don't like me, and they might try me once and then I'm out. Uh, so people who take me in and use me, they're basically solid, positive people for the most part. They see the value of what I do, and they're willing to keep life real with kids. 
So there's the obstacle of the, the system um, in, in responding and challenging you and giving you a hard time regarding that. With me, because I'm working with youth, I'm not kidding anymore. I mean, uh, you mentioned before the, uh, the, the integrity or the authenticity, and I've got that. Uh, I, think, I think you should pride yourself over in life, but uh, that's why I work with kids. I'm 61, and I'm more affected with teenagers, middle school, high school kids than I've ever been. And that's because I think I have no care or concern about whether you're going to like me, whether I'm appealing to you. You know, I use my knowledge. I use my sense of humor. I use my life stories. I'm interested in theirs. And they know who cares about them and who doesn't. So, you know, people uh, that will appreciate that will see the value of what I do, and that's how it all grows. Um, then there's other people you just kind of, you know, let them go or let them be affected by somebody else who might pass word on to them by word of mouth about, you know, what it is that I do and who I am. So I would say that what you mentioned before about authenticity is absolutely crucial because kids can smell a phony a mile away. And especially at my age, if they're going to sense like, oh, what are you going to lay on us? You know, what do you know? And as soon as they see like from the things I say that I know them, I understand them and I respect them. That, that enables it to flow in each event, and that enables the whole enterprise to grow rather than shrink. I mean, I really thought that as I would be getting older that, you know, some people would say, like, you're, you're a nice guy, you do a great job, but you know what, uh, let's go try and find somebody else who's, you know, closer in age to them. And some people, of course, must make that decision. But then there's plenty that don't, and there's plenty of new people that try me. So that's how you, you make it grow, by having a vision uh, you know, a sense of like um, who you are and what you want to accomplish and let everything else fall aside if they're not interested. Yeah, if I can chime in there, because I also worked with kids in New York City uh, for about five years as a social worker. And, you know, I never read their files before I met them, first of all, ever. A lot of social workers did. I, I didn't want to be tainted by what someone else thought of the kids. You know, some of the clients had histories of, you know, violence and things like this. And I never had a problem because... I did respect them. And, and the truth is, uh, I mean, I really think that kids, kids have that little spark in their eye and they have a wisdom for themselves. And if they're given an opportunity and a space to be heard, I think that that is one of the most beautiful things because they don't get that a lot. You know, I do have friends as well that are teachers in the system and it's similar to what you're talking about to me where they want to make a difference, but you know, they're caught up with a lot of logistics and, and things like that. So what, uh, what do you love most about, about what you're doing, Tony? I, um, I love the moments. I, I love the moments where a spontaneously hysterical thing comes out. You know, myself or one of the kids will think of the, you know, the funny thing uh, to say or do in a moment. Um, I, I love, you know, you don't do, when you work with youth, uh, you don't do it for the uh, feedback. You don't do it for the, Hey, thank you so much thing. You know, when it does happen, really, uh, you really do appreciate it and you really do enjoy it, but you don't strive for that. So uh, I just live in the moment and I understand whatever seeds need to be planted. You did that, you know, regardless of the results. And that's what unconditional love is. It has nothing to do with like, you know, whether I'm going to feel good at the end of it. Uh, when you do feel good, that's, you love that. <laughs> it's great. Uh, but, you know, you know, you know, you don't require it. So I would say what I love most is, is just that more often than not, 
way more often than not, I walk away after a program is over and I'm like, I'm energized. You know, I'm not drained by what I do at all. And I do it on a feverish pitch, too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing two and three programs a day, every day during the school year. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. I, I Let's see. Oh, my gosh. We're already, like, running out of time a little bit. Um, but I would love to hear where human suffering comes from for you, where, where you feel human suffering comes from, and then a little bit more optimistic maybe to that, where, where is your hope for change or where do you see the potential for, for change? Uh, change always has to happen within the individual first. You don't, it's not possible to transform a system if the individuals in the system don't have a level of awareness. Um, most human suffering with the exception of oppression that's economic and social uh, and exploitation, that kind of suffering is uh, systemic and, and also at the hands of individuals. But most emotional suffering is what people put them through themselves through with the, uh, you know, with judgments and fear and guilt and shame and a whole bunch of toxic things that they, you know, just dance around. Um, I really believe that, uh, you know, without a spiritual awareness, that, you know, that some kind of uh, a life could be, would be very limited in your capacity to deal with the crap that life throws at you and, um, and, and all the stuff that you would try, the good you would try to do. Most people set out to do good. They either just get distracted along the way or they get burned out along the way. And uh, you need an anchor for that. And an anchor, which is more than just cleverly thinking things through, uh, comes from emotional health in all the different ways you can find that. And I think it comes from a deeper uh, connection to something bigger than yourself. You have to give your life for something bigger than yourself. And if you're trying to do that without a spiritual connection that goes with that, you're eventually not going to have much to give. Yeah, there's something for, for me in my own life when I I went through a really interesting <laughs> relationship with spirituality. <laughs> And, uh, and for a little while, you know, I was, I was raised Catholic. And then as I started studying neuroscience and psychology, then I had more atheistic views. And let me tell you, the world was really dark. <laughs> if you're believing that, if you think that, you know, there's nothing. And then of course, by grace, you know, I, I began to see things for myself differently. And the recognition that there is a piece of me that can never be hampered by circumstance or low mood thinking, you know, that, that my soul and my, and who I am and my connectedness to the system is always there. And that the only thing that can ever, ever make me feel that it's not there is my own conceptual thinking, which is exactly what you were pointing to with fear-based thinking and things like that. And the beauty for me in my own journey as, as an artist and, and as a business person is that I've just kind of effortlessly as I've seen more, not that I think I'm enlightened, but as I see more in my own journey, it makes less and less sense to hang out or take seriously all the fear-based thinking because I'm making it up in the moment. It's just one interpretation out of a million and it doesn't make it truth. Um, so in some moments I'm, I'm re recognizing that and that's really helpful for me to be graceful in the lows that are inevitable, you know, because we are human and we're all going to experience the breath. Uh, I think there's a misunderstanding sometimes in our culture, especially with, you know, these success stories like you were talking about that as if these people that are rich and famous or successful making millions of dollars and having thousands of clients, 
as if that somehow gets them out of being human and life is perfect for them. But if we really <laughs> take a look at society, we know that's not true. I mean, a lot of my idols for, me, for music ha have committed suicide or have had drug addictions and things like that. So I, I'm absolutely in alignment that it's always an inside out process. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, when, and what's fun is when you're speaking with someone and, and they start seeing that for themselves. It's really exciting for me. Yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a level of freedom, you know, where I'm, I'm, I'm not controlled by my circumstances or by my past programming or my, you know, or my environment. There's a level of life that's possible that does not limit me to those things. In fact, life is unbearable when limited to those things, but that's why most people aren't happy not healthy, but you know, that freedom that I can decide how I will label something, how I will label myself, how I will label the circumstances I'm immersed in, uh, that freedom. You can't usually control the circumstances in life, but how you label them. You know, when I work with kids, I don't use problem, the word problems. You know, I look at, I use the word challenges and opportunities. And, uh, that's, that's different than the way I was raised, but you know, it's, uh, it's so much more powerful just to see. I always think I would have done better at math if they would have called them math opportunities instead of math, math problems. Yes, <laughs> I agree with you on that, Tony. Oh, I struggled with math a lot, <laughs> or that was my perception. Yeah, there's something interesting that you're saying too about the labeling, you know, just to bring it back because I really come from the mental health side with social work. And, and I remember, oh, I remember being with a client and I'd worked with her for a year and a half and we were just having a conversation and she said, I'll never forget this. She said, I can't do that. I'm bipolar. And I think that there's such a fundamental misunderstanding in traditional systems. You know, a diagnosis to me is just a snapshot in time. There, there, but, but how it gets framed in traditional therapy often is that people are going to be struggling for their life, you know, they're going to be a lifelong addict or they're going to have bipolar and there's no cure. You know, to me, that's like equating like if I'm at a party and someone takes a picture of me picking my nose and then that's the snapshot that sticks with me for the next 20 years. But what's on offer for every human being is really that this psychological, spiritual freedom is on offer for every human being. So I really appreciate you pointing that pointing towards that, Tony. Uh, well, we're yeah. running out of time, but uh, if there is one thing you would like listeners to take home from today's call, what would that be, Tony? And then if you can share where people can reach you to find out more about your retreats and the work you do, that'd be great. Sure. I would say if I really one party message, it would be, be the change you want to see happen in the world. I didn't invent that saying, but I've lived my life according to it. I think if we all did it, it would be a different world. Be the change you want to see happen in the world. I don't know. I think it was Gandhi who said that. I'm not sure, but that's my closing thought. And uh, I can be reached at hopeforthechildren.org. My phone number is 718-479-2594. My email address is retreats, R-E-T-R-E-E-T-S, at AOL.com. And I'm on Facebook, Tony Belizzi. Okay, great. Also, if there's any uh, local artists on the call that live in the New York City area, uh, I would definitely check out. Tony does have a lot of great programs and open mics that run at The Vault. And that's, uh, uh, what's that address, Tony, for The Vault? It's The Vault, thevault.org. Okay, thevault.org. Okay. And just uh, send me an email, um, I'll put you on the mailing list. And uh, yeah, we're looking to uh, keep the place strong. We're going 21 years now. So, yeah. Uh, we have a lot of fun here in the New York City area. 
It's awesome. Yeah, I've actually run some fundraisers there and done things. It's one of my favorite places uh, to perform. So I highly recommend that people check that out. Well, Tony, thank you so much for your patience coming on the call. I know we had a little bit of technical difficulties, but yeah, my pleasure is all worth it. I really appreciate it. And uh, again, my name is Amy Leo at reviveyoursanity.com. If you are interested in kind of leaning into these kind of psycho-spiritual conversations for yourself, interested in maybe uh, experiencing a little more psychological freedom, we are offering a variety of retreats as well. We've got one in Costa Rica in August, and we're planning an India trip uh, in the winter. So that will be fun too. You can reach me again at reviveyoursanity.com. Well, thank you so much, Tony. And I hope to, uh, to perform in your presence again soon. Yeah, that would be sweet. My biggest take homes from today's call is that there really are so many people that are making a huge difference in the world. And just because we don't see or hear about these people often in the news or the media doesn't mean that real change and real impact isn't being made all over the world. There's also this piece for me that as Tony shared his story, I realized that we don't have to go from zero to 100 overnight. And what I mean by that is that changing the world doesn't come from the program that you want to sell or the number of followers that you have. That changing the world happens person by person and that the only thing you're really responsible for is your own internal growth as a human being. And it really can be that simple that when you are lit up and when your psychological well-being is intact, that that has the ability to touch those around you in ways that you didn't even think were possible. If you want to get more inspirational but practical conversations for changing the world and escaping the actual and or mental rat race delivered straight to your device, remember to subscribe on iTunes all you've got to do there is type in the search engine, Escaping the Rat Race with Amy Leo, and it should bring the podcast series up. Till next time, keep rocking.